real talk. Not enough of it happens in education circles, I'm afraid. On the other hand, sometimes we take our work way too seriously, and I respect the passion and the commitment, and I admire it. At the same time, we so often forget or perhaps overlook just how funny it all is. It is so important to be able to find humor in our work, which is so intense majority of the time, and just sit back and have a laugh about it. Today's guest is someone who presents the funny side of our work really well. I love it. Her Instagram memes are so refreshingly honest, sometimes provocative, but also hilarious at the same time. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the full interview. I hope you really enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Turn and Talk podcast where educators take the mic back and speak their truth without filter. I interview teachers and school personnel and ask them to share their views and experiences about education anonymously. If you work in a school setting or have worked in one and have something to say about education, something that needs to be said out loud or something that isn't said enough, then please email me at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com because I'd love for you to take the mic back and add your voice to the conversation about public education. Subscribe, share, and enjoy the show. So excited to be hosting today's guest. She's the anonymous teacher, Instagrammer, who goes by the account name Teacher Trauma. Yes, you've probably seen many of her funny creations. I'm a big fan of the account for its absolute honest and hilarious portrayal of a teacher's life. I also have a confession to make here. Teacher Trauma is one of the reasons why I was interested in creating a platform for teachers to share their perspectives honestly and without fear. So the Turn and Talk podcast philosophy is actually significantly inspired by a lot of the funny memes that Teacher Trauma creates and puts out. You know, it gives a funny twist to a lot of the seriousness that goes around in our profession to speak openly without feeling like you're being judged that's one of the reasons why the turn and talk podcast exists and i really feel and take a lot of inspiration from teacher trauma uh, from for its commitment to the similar thing so thanks for your time and company this evening and welcome to turn and talk podcast how are you Good. Thank you so much. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> I'm really flattered and I'm really glad that, um, you know, my page and some of my memes could inspire you to start this podcast. And I, I've been tuning into some of your episodes and it's just a really cool opportunity, I think, for teachers to share openly and then have other teachers, you know, hear that interview or all of your interviews and feel like, okay, it's not just me, like I'm not alone. I think that makes people feel a lot better in this profession. <laughs> a lot of us have those feelings and we have um, no opportunity or platform to really be able to share it. In fact, it's yeah. <laughs> really very strictly, I guess you can say, uh, censored because no, no one feels safe to be able to speak their mind a lot of times. Definitely. So yeah, let's begin with what do you teach, how long you've been teaching, and what are other roles, if any, uh, that you're involved at your school? Um, so I am currently in my seventh year of teaching. I've been at my current school for five years, and I teach middle school social studies. So I teach sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. It's a small school that I work at, so I get to have the same kids year after year. And it, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, three grades, that's a lot, but it is really unique and awesome to get to like watch them grow up from the time that they're 11 until they're 14 because they just change so much. So I really enjoy that um, aspect of it. And how have you ended up teaching all three grades? 
Is it only because of the size of the school? Yeah, there's just no need for more than one major content area teacher, like in each subject. Obviously, we have special education teachers in math and ELA, but when it comes to social studies and science, since we just teach you know, the entire population of students, there's just no need because it's a small school and there's about 30 kids per grade at the most. So, oh. um, yeah. So, and we do block scheduling. So we're able to work it out where we don't really need more than one teacher. Cool. And at middle school social studies, how has your experience been teaching middle school social studies? It's been great. I mean, t the reason I got into it, I'm very like passionate about politics and about um, human rights issues and empathy. And I think that social studies is a good platform to, you know, help kids develop compassion and empathy for other human beings. And so um, I've been really lucky. I've had kids who are just so passionate about human rights issues at such a young age. So I've really been inspired by them. And I really enjoy hitting those hard issues with them, um, they can handle and understand a lot more than I think people give teenagers credit for. That was going to be my next question. As to like, how do you see students react and how developmentally speaking, what is your experience of students dealing with, especially things like current events? So, you know, there will always be a few kids that aren't overly interested but for the most part they do have opinions they want to share those opinions i've seen them get into little debates with each other about different political issues especially you know around the time of the last presidential election i think that the young people do care a lot more than you know some might think and obviously i get to see them every day and help them figure out how to care like i think a lot of them are involved because they know that I am. So then it kind of like rubs off on them. Um, sure. Like to be interested in different current issues. I mean, it's sad too. Like a lot of times they ask me questions kind of about how we got to where we are in certain situations. And even as an adult, you know, like I can't answer all of those things. And so that can be sad at times to see them kind of be like, what were the adults thinking when they did this? <laughs> or, you know, like how certain things have gotten to the point that they're at, because obviously the country is quite divided at the moment. So it's an interesting position to be in. Sometimes I don't have all the answers for them. Yes, I agree. So I want to hear your thoughts and reaction to what's happening right now. Obviously, a lot of uh, news out right now and what my experience has been like during this time over the past week is that students are very uh, much engaged in social media so I think they are mm -hmm. uh, learning about a lot of the a lot of these events and they're also learning about the events in a not necessarily in a history <laughs> no. <laughs> a historical way, right? So the quality of what they're seeing is, is very different. And also there's a big meme culture also, right? Yes, so yeah. there's a lot of memes out. And I'm finding that students are re receiving memes as a story or as a maybe a factual account of what's going on. Yeah. And do you find something similar? And how do you do anything to try to address that? Yeah, I mean, 100%. The kids 
they primarily get any kind of information because they're not watching TV that often. A lot of kids only watch like shows on streaming services and stuff. So they're not watching the news. Um, They are getting all of their information on Instagram. And like you said, it's through memes or TikTok, which is now like another big app that they all Mm -hmm. use that I haven't quite uh quite understood yet but um they came in to school after um the assassination of the general in iran and they were just like um so are we starting world war three and everyone's saying that yes immediately i knew that they had seen the memes because that's the only place that i saw mention of world war three like they're not reporting that on cnn you know (laughs) (laughs) so we had to take like a good chunk of class um that's another thing you probably can relate to is when these things come up like i i want to engage with them about it i want to answer their questions so a lot of times my plans get derailed because they come in with something current and they want to know about it and i want to be the one to teach them about it without them just using like memes as their source of information. That's another thing too, though, is so they're sharing some of these memes that they read with me. And I said, listen, I understand it's my generation and yours to kind of use humor to cope with things that are scary and sad. But I said, it's not like, this is not funny because I mean, even over the weekend, like um, American troops were deployed. so. Yeah. Like that's not funny for them and their family. So it's a good opportunity to try to teach them like, you know, you might laugh at a meme, but this is a reality for people. Like this is not a situation that's funny to a lot of people. So um we kind of were able to have that discussion and then try to talk about like when is it appropriate to use humor. Because I think they're scared. <laughs> they they mm-hmm. hear about this and they're like, what does this mean? They hear we're going to get nuked and stuff like that. And right, that right. sticks with them because they're like 12. So um, And they all play Call of Duty or Fortnite. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're familiar with the weapons. They are. And they're. I think they are genuinely scared. But it's easier to like laugh at a meme than to actually go seek out legitimate information. Yeah, it really is such a big challenge, especially at the middle school level, I find, because I don't know how your curriculum works, but my curriculum is uh, what I'm supposed to teach. You know, in in sixth grade, we're supposed to do world ancient world history. Seventh mm-hmm. grade is, Me too, is yeah. American Revolution and, and the American history. Yes. But some would call U.S. History 1. And then uh, now in eighth grade is uh, U.S. History 2 or more of the you know current events stuff. So mm-hmm. it's very hard to kind of give them all of the necessary piece of the information. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my uh, my school, ahead. our curriculum, eighth grade, goes back to medieval history. So it's kind of like a weird... Oh, wow. It's not like chronologically cohesive. <laughs> wow. But, yeah. That's interesting. How did you end up becoming a teacher? And I, I want to kind of add, you know, your teacher trauma account onto this too. <laughs> so how did you end up becoming a teacher? And how did you end up starting teacher trauma and, and becoming this... I'm going to just say it, a, a teacher celebrity uh, who who no one really, I guess, knows because you don't, yeah. <laughs> you don't reveal your identity on the account. So, I don't. Uh, so tell us about those two pieces, your personal journey as a teacher, how did you become one? And then how did the account start? Um, so I always say I became a teacher 
because of two teachers I had, the best teacher I ever had and the worst teacher I ever had. Hmm. So um, in fifth grade, and I won't name any names, (laughs) in fifth grade, I had a teacher who she was just so mean to us. And, you know, in fifth grade, you need like a nurturing teacher. And I think she had been in it too long. She was ready to go, but didn't go yet. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I remember her just like humiliating me every time I made a mistake. Like once I brought a paper home and then I didn't put it in what was called our Wednesday folder. I put it in like a different folder and she like berated me in front of the whole class. And I remember being like genuinely scared of her, of going to class and no kid should feel like that for an entire year. So I decided I want to be a teacher so that at least like no kid will ever walk into my room and feel that way. Like I'll make every kid feel like they're welcome, that they can talk to me, that they can make mistakes. And then my best teacher um, was in eighth grade and she, you know, I was going through some things that year and she would let me come in at lunch and just kind of talk with her. So she was giving up her free time to kind of help me through some things. And she saw so much potential in me as a writer and a creative mind where I never saw myself that way. Um, But she would find opportunities for me to succeed and to be creative. And I ended up kind of being a kid who wasn't overly interested in school to giving like the speech at my eighth grade graduation because she, I mean, I was not the valedictory. (laughs) I wrote a good speech (laughs) and they voted and picked it. Um, So because of, you know, my bad teacher and then this teacher, I was like, you know, I want to be that person for somebody. And so from eighth grade, my mind was kind of made up and I just, I explored a couple of other things in college, but nothing ever struck me as being quite as important as teaching. Wow. Like I remember I tried to do like a public relations type thing to see how I liked it. And I'm like, what am I, you know, and not to put down anyone in that field, but Personally, I was like, am I going to go home at night and feel rewarded? And I just didn't think that I would. Yeah, Um, teaching is, I think, what I would call high risk, high reward. It's a bit of both. (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely come home and felt really crappy. But also, you know, I do feel like fulfilled and that I'm doing something that matters. Um, And then teacher trauma came about because... I found myself kind of like stewing over certain situations that were very frustrating to me. And, you know, the way that I personally cope with things is through humor. So I had kind of made like certain jokes to friends who are teachers and they're like, you know, you're really funny. You should like do something (laughs) with that. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like start a YouTube channel and then, you know, that'll come back to haunt me, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... I was like, well, why don't I just post, you know, I'll make some memes. We'll see what happens. I had seen, you know, pages like Teacher Misery, which got really popular Mm -hmm. for teachers. And I'm like, you know what? I could do that too. So I gave it a try and um, I have a nice little following now. Yeah, you sure do. It's amazing. (laughs) And I also just love it. It's, again, I just want to reiterate, 
my personal experience of following your account is is just like my inner voice is being channeled somewhere. <laughs> a lot of people reach out to me to say that, which is really cool because obviously, you know, all I'm doing is making silly jokes. So it's not like I'm, you know, out here doing the Lord's work <laughs> making memes. <laughs> but um, people have felt like, okay, like I saw your meme when I was having a crappy day and I was like, okay, so everyone's going through this. I'm you know? not alone. Yeah, like they're seeing, okay, well, 1,200 other people liked it or commented. And so that means that this is normal. Because I think as a teacher, there's so much pressure on us. You want to be the best teacher you can be. You look at other teachers, you compare yourself to them. And you're not going to have a perfect lesson every day. It's just not possible. Um, And I always say like, it's hard because you always have to be on. Like I could be having the worst day of my life and I can't bring it through that door. And that's hard. You're turning off like your actual life every day for seven, eight hours, depending on what you do. And it's just like, it's a lot. I mean, normal people don't have to do that. Definitely not in the ways that I think teachers do. What do you think about then all of the other, um, there's a lot of social media accounts right now that do make teaching look like it can be done with such finesse and at a level that, you know, they just portray this perfection mm-hmm. in the classrooms all the time. It's beautiful. This and mm-hmm. everything is colorful and yeah. magic fonts. What is your advice to teachers, prospective teachers and newer teachers when they see all that stuff? How should they interpret it? Yeah, so I have a lot to say on that topic, but I'll try and <laughs> keep it <laughs> as concise as possible. Essentially, I think like all of that is wonderful. If you have the resources to, you know, ship lap every wall in your classroom. <laughs> and that's great. <laughs> like more power to you. It looks beautiful. The rooms look amazing. But how many of us can actually afford to do that? Because my school's not giving me a budget to, you know, turn my room into Hogwarts. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some exactly. of these rooms are like every month I change the theme. This month is like Jurassic Park. And I'm like, I, I can't be bringing like an animatronic dinosaur in here. I don't have like, I'm lucky if I change my bulletin board. Right. Every and month. honestly, when, when I see some of those faces, I'm like, I better go home and clean my room first. <laughs> like I haven't, I still have laundry laying around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And to me, it's like, that stuff's great. I would never like put down anybody who does that because that's a lot of dedication and I'm sure they're putting a lot of their own money into it and everything. And effort especially. And yeah. And I think they're also getting things for, um, a lot of those accounts have like a lot of followers. So maybe they're getting things to promote or whatever. But to me, like to be a great teacher, you have to connect with the kids and nothing else matters. Like your room could look like a jail cell. It shouldn't. But sure. if you have that connection with the kids, they don't care about that other stuff. Like maybe the room looks awesome, but if you're boring or you're not nice or you don't care about their personal lives, you know, they see right through that stuff. They Kids are very intuitive that way. And so I don't think anybody should compare themselves to others or put that pressure on themselves. Because if you can do that, great. But as long as you're connecting with the kids and you're like working on lessons that 
are engaging and fun, like you're doing an awesome job. So I, I really like, I don't think that you need to have like a classroom from HGTV to be a good teacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really uh, don't. Great advice. Tell us about any transitions of thought or changes in mind or changes in your belief about teaching. How have some of your ideas about teaching changed since you started teaching? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, for one, <laughs> it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Um, whenever anyone asks me like, Oh, I'm thinking about becoming a teacher. Like, what do you think? I give them like the straight up answer. You've got to be willing to like put your heart and soul into this job because you can't half-ass it. Like it's not possible. So it definitely was a lot more challenging than I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, in the beginning I used to get really, I was very sensitive when like I felt I was being criticized or like if a parent was being critical and kind of over the years, I've realized that you can easily get a parent on your side and sometimes you have to swallow your own pride to do it, but it is about the kid at the end of the day and not like your feelings. So something I always tell my parents about to school night and conferences, I always tell them like, before you go to send me an email that, you know, maybe you're angry or frustrated or upset, I'm like, take one beat and remember that we are on the same team, that we yep. both want the same thing, and that I would never do anything to intentionally upset your child. And when you just take that beat and um, remember that, you know, maybe then we can have a much more productive conversation. And it's actually really like changed a lot for me and my relationships with the parents. And honestly, just like kind of setting that tone at the beginning of the year um, has been really helpful. Like, I think the parents remember that. What's your experience like with professional development in general? You know, has there been a positive experience since you joined the profession? Uh, what kind of professional development do you find most valuable? And what do you find least valuable? Um, I've definitely had, it's been a mixed bag, like of different, you know, there are some that I literally don't remember anything from because they were insignificant to my practice. And then there are ones that really stuck with me. And all the ones that stuck with me were things that were about, like, we, we did one on implicit bias. You know, everyone wants to think that they don't have any, you know, bias against mm -hmm. others, but you realize everybody does. It, it's unintentional and involuntary half the time so that was really eye-opening we do this one I like I would suggest that every single school does this my um vice principal it's about connection with the kids mm -hmm. and he puts up he prints out the school picture of every single kid in the school and he puts them all up on the wall so it does take a lot of you know preparation but then we all get like these dots and you have to go up to the kids that you feel you have a personal connection with, not like a kid you're nice to or a kid you say hi to, but like a kid that you know a little bit deeper. And then you go put your dots next to those kids. And then we all take a step back and we look at the kids who don't have any dots. And then mm. we, we focus on how do we reach out and connect with these kids? Because as teachers, I think a lot of times, like say you don't really make a special connection with a certain kid, especially in middle school, because you have so many kids, you kind of think like, Oh, well, I'm sure like someone else is, is making that connection. Mm -hmm. And 
And then you realize like there are kids that maybe don't feel connected to anybody. And that's a big thing on like the mental health piece of, of teaching and, and being sure that every kid feels like they have connections. Um, so that's always my favorite one we do every year. Thank you for sharing that. That is powerful. I would love yeah, to cool. engage in that. I would love to use that. You uh, should. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the permission. We'll definitely try to do that with, with our staff because you really are so on point with this idea of every student needing a connection and yeah. similarly every adult in the building needing a connection also. And yeah. I think this can be done both for staff and with students. And not, you know, to take it to like a dark place, but with all of the different like, you know, instances of violence happening in schools, like maybe if people took the time to reach out to these kids at a younger age, you know, maybe things could be different. And so to really identify like which kids might really need that connection, it could make a world of difference. You know, you never know. Yeah, you're so right. Sometimes just a connection that's missing. And a lot of times there, a child has a connection with someone that you would have never thought. Mm -hmm. And that can be a gateway to learning more about the child. I have some kids that, you know, I've had a little more difficulty with, um, in the classroom and one kid I was kind of struggling to connect with. Like I knew an adult that he did connect with and I went to them and I'm like, what can I talk to this kid about? Like, give me anything. And so he kind of like hinted to me things that this kid liked. So then I, you know, bring it up in conversation. He's like, Oh, you also like, like rock climbing. And I mean, like I've never successfully climbed a rock wall, but I'm going to be like, heck yeah, I do, <laughs> you yeah. know, to try to, to, to make that connection. So you're definitely right about yeah. that. That's happened to me many times. Uh, I've actually asked people that I know have had stronger relations with children than, than me to facilitate conversation between myself and the and the child. And the three of us would meet and over lunch or something like that and invite the kids and, and, and the person would volunteer to actually help me have a conversation with the child in a different context. And that I also find is has been very helpful to me in, in my career. Yeah. Now let's turn to the, you You did it first. You took it to the dark place first. So um, <laughs> I, I'm going to ask. Fair game now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to ask you to share some of the major frustrations with teaching, maybe the profession itself, the work of teaching, schools in general, policy, mm -hmm. anything related to education. What are some of your major frustrations? Um. I have a few. <laughs> I think I think teachers are terribly underpaid. I look at some of the work my friends are doing and they're making double what I make and we're, you know, working either the same amount of hours or I'm even working more. Um so it's and I know that obviously schools there's no profit coming in and that's why it is what it is, but I think there's a level of disrespect for teachers that's like new like I I feel like some people like hate teachers for some reason and I'm like mm. of all the people you're gonna pick <laughs> like what why would you pick us I don't understand um <laughs> it's weird it's like just because I get the summer off you automatically like hate me and think that we're lazy when really I don't think most people could handle the amount of work that we do and the amount that goes unpaid and is just like because we want to be better at our jobs and help our kids. Um, so leading into, it's just like 
almost an unsustainable career because I think of like, I don't have any children currently. I'd like to have children. I don't know how people do it, how they keep up with all of their schoolwork and then come home and play the role of mom or dad when there's so much, you know, work you have to bring home and everything. So I think it's, I think a lot is expected of us. Sometimes I'm bothered by submitting formal lesson plans every single week because I feel like you should trust that, you know, you should trust me because you hired me to do a job and I'm doing it. Um, So I understand they want to know what we're doing, but sometimes with the tedious, like very, I know all different schools have different policies, but we have to submit very detailed plans. Mm-hmm. And I can spend two hours just sitting there entering them into, you know, the online template or whatever. So sometimes I do feel that teaching is not sustainable for the long term because number one, you're not financially secure in most cases. And secondly, um, just the amount of time and effort that it requires to stay afloat. It's like being on a hamster wheel. Like during the year, you're just running on the wheel like it never ends there's no okay I'm done (laughs) you know what I mean yeah so those are kind of my frustrations and obviously I know class sizes in a lot of places and lack of resources are very frustrating to teachers you know I have I have kids who in the same room that I have kids who are like you know needing enrichment because they have very high IQs And in the same exact class, I have a kid who's at like a second grade reading level in seventh grade. So expecting me to basically, I know everyone's like, it's just differentiation, but (laughs) that's literally planning two completely different lessons. And then you're supposed to teach them at the same exact time. That is not normal. That's not sustainable. Oh my God. There's so much wrong with the way in which differentiation is talked about. Oh, God. Like, oh, just to just differentiate. Yeah, like, that's what? everything's answer is just differentiate. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not that easy. It takes a lot of work. Yes. Yes. Oh, I God. wish the general public got to see a well-developed lesson in like a paper format so they would see mm-hmm. what a lot of people have to write out for every single day that they teach. Yeah. And like, as a, if when you're teaching in the upper grades too, like, I don't remember every single detail about the crusades. Like I need to then (laughs) study. And so it takes like even more time because you have to know what you're talking about. So it's studying up on the information, then figuring out how to teach it, then typing up these formal lesson plans, then, you know, differentiating, making sure you're teaching it 17 different ways, you know, in the same block of time. So it's just, it's a lot of work. And so wherever this like idea came about, like (laughs) teachers are lazy, wheel in the VCR and play a movie. Like that's not happening at all. I don't think anymore. I think that was the golden age of teaching. (laughs) (laughs) And we have, we have left that age because we, the expectations are like extremely high in my opinion. Yes, I, I agree. My experience is similar. Do you think that's uh, those expectations? I hear that a lot. That's why I'm asking you this. Do you think all of these expectations of doing so many things, creating this feeling of not being sustainable, is that one of the reasons why you think many teachers do leave? 
the profession? Absolutely. Because, I mean, a lot of people don't handle pressure that well. And this is a profession of constant pressure. Um, You know, people are teaching 10 years and they're still nervous for an observation of their lesson. I think it also doesn't help that a lot of parents put a lot of blame on teachers now. Like things have completely shifted from when even I was younger and I'm, you know, turning 30 next week. So I'm not even that, you know, old per se, but it was like your parents were like, no, you respect your teacher. And if you didn't do your work, it's your fault and you're grounded or whatever. Today, like I get emails like, why didn't my son do his homework? I'm like, why don't you ask him? I don't know. <laughs> like, what? Why didn't he do it? I don't know. It's a great question. I would love to hear the answer to it when you find out. Like they put it on. Well, you didn't remind him. Like, number one, it's on Google Classroom. <laughs> Something that we did not have back in the day. Everything is accessible to them, but it's still our fault. And I like that is the one thing that has made me consider leaving. I love the kids so much that I I won't really leave. But in those moments where I'm like, I'm leaving, this is ridiculous. Like (laughs) I could be so much happier doing something else. But um, it's because like I'm tired. I'm tired of getting blamed for stuff because they have no idea the amount of work I put into this and the amount of care and concern I have for their kids. I mean, most of them do, but you know, like you could hear 20 positive things and that one negative thing is going to stick. It sticks. Yes. Um, So like when I get blamed for things that like are literally not even remotely my fault, that is what to me, I think drives a lot of people out of the career because like, why would you want to subject yourself to that? There's a lot of humiliation. I feel like it's crazy. I mean, I once, got blamed a kid like I guess punched another kid and I wasn't even in the vicinity of the room that it happened in and the mom is like how did you let this happen and I was like I did not let this happen I wasn't even in the room I I maybe was even absent that day I don't know what you're talking about but it's like everyone just wants someone to blame and they always blame us for stuff and that's what I'm like okay I can't. I remember once a kid wasn't doing their homework and I got told that's a classroom management issue. And I think I almost punched a hole in a wall and I'm not a violent person. (laughs) But I'm like, what? I fall. I just can't. Where do you stand with with where do you stand with homework? So I mean, like, personally, I think the kids are in school long enough. I don't see the need for homework. Like I wouldn't give homework if I wasn't told that I had to. Just because, like, we can take care of it in school. I get things like math, like stuff you really need to practice over and over again. For social studies, I feel like, you know, you could survive without doing homework. Sure. To me, it's the bane of my existence because I assign homework and then 10 of them do it out of 20. (laughs) And then I need to... Did you do it yet? Did you do it yet? And then I'm emailing home. Hi, uh, just a friendly reminder. You know, you didn't do your homework. That's posted on Google Classroom and it like (laughs) sends you a direct email. And then they send back, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you could refer to the step-by-step directions. Um, (laughs) It's simplified language. I don't know. And then the parents are like, how do I get on Google Classroom? Like they've never used a computer before. And I know that they have. Like I, (laughs) so to me, 
I would love to avoid the whole damn thing. I don't want any part of just the, like, I don't have time to email these people over and over and over. And then they email me. Did he do it yet? Ask your child. (laughs) (laughs) These kids are in middle school. Like you should be able to be like, Hey, did you hand in that homework? And they should either say yes or no, but I do appreciate them like following up, but it's just a lot of extra headache for this homework. So I get the point of it. And then I also, and then I have kids who have no support at home. So I'm like, do what you can. And if they don't, you know, some, some kids like kids with IEPs who also have no support at home, Mm -hmm. I'm not even counting that because it's just not fair. Yeah, it's almost like a punishment. They don't have the tools, you know, to do it. They're just trying to get through the day. You know, they have other issues that are much more important. So um, I just expect them to work hard when they're with me. And then, like, if they do their homework, great. If not, I usually let it go. But that's obviously a specific case. Yeah. Well, thank you, Shane. I don't know where the time has gone. I just feel like I want to talk to you so much more. I do have one more question. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this last one is uh, the magic wand question. If you could wave a magic wand, what are the things you would add, make disappear to make education <laughs> become more what you think is the ideal? So obviously, can I can I wave the wand in like several things? Of <laughs> Absolutely. <You> can- <laughs> okay. Have as many as you like. It's your only chance. Yeah. Okay, great. So I would (laughs) turn my classroom into Hogwarts. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I would wave the wand and I would want special education teachers in my class with me and my special education children because they could use the extra support and it's just me and all the kids. I would want lots of creative resources because when I do projects I like to be like you do whatever you want as long as you hit these points because some of them like are really creative and can come up with cool stuff but then I don't I run out of all the supplies and materials to like make the project so I would want that I would want kids to develop a sense of accountability and parents to encourage that and I would want people to just respect what we do, which I think for the most part people do, but sometimes I do feel that teachers are very disrespected. Oh, and and like lots of money. <laughs> lots and lots more of money. money. Lots and lots of money. Yeah, I guess that's what I would what I would do. And I would just get rid of like, you know, bullying parents who aren't really involved and they're kind of neglect a lot of the things their kids need, that's hard to watch. Like I have kids who don't want to go home for the summer and that's, that's difficult. So mm-hmm. I wish that, I always say, I wish that every kid could have the parents I had, like parents who are very supportive and loving and caring. And I didn't realize how amazing my parents were. Like I knew they were amazing, but I didn't realize how amazing until I got into teaching. Wow. Well, thank you on that note. Really appreciate your time. Really appreciate all of your thoughts. I will definitely continue to follow your, your trauma <laughs> account. That's and I'm really great. happy to hear that because I, I get some haters sometimes, man. They're like, this is awful that you people laugh at these things. I, I mean, and they go off 
I just delete yeah. their comments. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I imagined uh, that you would get some of that too. It's, I, I wonder what it is, but in my opinion, I think some of it is just we live, a lot of the teachers are uh, living in an environment where you have to really watch what you say and how you say mm-hmm. it. And we are a profession of a lot of jargon and probably more so than some of the other professions. And every year there's a new term and how you're supposed to talk about a certain issue is always different. Yeah. So, and a lot of people, you know, take that to heart and uh, get very easily offended by certain things. I'm certainly not one of them. The longer <laughs> I teach, I feel like the more I want to laugh at this stuff and want to point it out. Um, so yeah, please do keep doing what you do. And it's all in good fun. It's harmless. Like, you know, I would never make a joke about a topic that is not like to me, if you make jokes about things that people could control and they could change, then it's fair game. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, So it's like, it's nothing that, you know, I'm never going to be out here making fun of a kid with a disability or something. So I do wish people could just kind of lighten up and be like, yeah, you know, that happened. That's funny. Or if you don't like something like keep moving, you don't have to, follow you don't like I just can't imagine seeing something and being like I am going to comment on why I hate this (laughs) you have to be able to be like this is all mayhem and absolutely (laughs) ridiculous and I like chose this for myself and (laughs) (laughs) there's you have to find something funny about that and I like my I love my colleagues so much like we laugh all day long and it's why I like going to work every day. I love the kids, but yeah, they're teenagers. They can be frustrating, but my colleagues, like everyone's got a sense of humor. Um, so I'm really lucky and it's sad because I see through the, through the Instagram page, a lot of people are like, they don't have that. You know what I mean? Like, so then they see one of my memes and they're like, Oh my God, am I allowed to laugh at this? (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you need to, or you're going to end up in a straitjacket. <laughs> th- when I see some of your memes, my original thought usually is, wait, did she hear me say this? Like, did I say that out loud? <laughs> it's so many times it's that. So I'm just Good, like, oh I'm my God. they're relatable. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, yeah, I, I felt that on a day once upon a time, and that's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I'm glad. Uh, but no, thank you. So uh, I hope we get to talk again when you have time. We'd love to tease apart some of the other things we didn't get to talk about today. Yeah, no, this was awesome. I'd you know, love to be on again if you'll have me. So just oh, you know, let me know. Thank you so much. I'll be thank in touch. Thank you for thinking of me and for being so supportive of my page. I really do appreciate that. And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk Podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash turnandtalkpodcast. We invite you to also follow us on Instagram at turnandtalkpodcast. If you haven't subscribed, 
subscribed yet, please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device. If you have questions, thoughts, feedback, or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back, please, please email us at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. This is your host, Jay McSuits, signing out. Peace.